Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Smart and Snart Podcast, where real software engineers and real software managers discuss real software. On this podcast, I have my smartest, least smartest coworker in the world, Mr. Matt Jaffe. Jaffe is a world-renowned computer scientist and astrophysicist. His role here is to try to educate us all on the value of technology and ultimately why we should submit to his authority. Today is Season Zero, Episode X, Where Have All the Software Engineers Gone? Before we get started, though, Jaffe, I cannot contain my excitement. With all the kids going back to school, that means one thing. Jaffe, do you know what it is? Uh, More traffic? No. It means college football season. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Oh, oh, yes. Jaffe, where'd you go to school, Jaffe? Please tell the world where you went to college at. Tell us about the sports there. Not in a state that no one has ever heard of. West Virginia. Is that even like, is that a real place or is it just like a subset of Virginia? West Virginia. I heard West Virginia's state motto was open for business. That's that's got to be the worst state wow. motto ever. Wow. West Virginia, where the men are men and the sheep are scared. Jaffe, I can say that because I went there. So I, I do have my favorite joke that my uncle likes to tell. And he uh, uh, you know, kind of tries to get me every time. Did you know that the, that the uh, toothbrush was invented in the state of West Virginia? Did you know that? I don't think that's true. It is because if it was invented in any other state, it would be called the teeth brush. So <laughs> you're going to laugh at my uncle's joke. Great. So you still haven't told the world where you went to college at. Jaffe, did you even go to college? I went to Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania? That's Amish country. I know Lancaster. I've got family in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I didn't know they had a university there. Did they teach you how to do the horse and buggy there? Uh, they uh, they left that out of the curriculum, actually. What what sports did they play? Uh, play uh, rock throw and uh, hoop roll. What what did you do? Just just the normal college sports, Jason. Just the Franklin just... and Marshall normal sports. Normal sports. What name one sport that that your university is known for? Known for it's Division Three. They're not known for anything. Right. Okay. Well, uh, did they have fraternities there? Did you yes, join the fraternity? Did. No. What for, were you a member of a fraternity? No, 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 no. I was on the swim team. Oh, that's right. And okay. Anybody, anybody who was on the swim team and joined a fraternity didn't last long on the swim team. That's that's how it how it usually happened. Well, I cannot contain my excitement about college football on September second. West Virginia will be playing Penn State. And let me tell you what's going to happen. West Virginia is going to get smoked, but that's okay. Moving on to episode X here. It's, uh, where... it's episode 10, and the title is Get Off My Lawn. So, viewers, <laughs> let, let me tell you how this episode came about. Because Jason sent me a message, and he said, I'm thinking we should do an episode on the current culture of software development. And so I said, okay, I'll bite what is the current culture of software development? And Jason, this is, I'm just reading this verbatim. Lazy. Everything is about speed, speed, speed. Faster, faster, faster. Quality is out the window. Security is out the window. We have too many software developers and not enough software engineers. So 
this is Jason's platform to, you know, old man yells at sky or, or whatever. Um, but that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, that's only funny because it's true. So, so you don't think, uh, my, my comment was where have all the software engineers gone? I think, I think we've got a tremendous amount of software developers. Everybody's coding up the softwares all day long, but do we really have any software engineering? I mean, what, what, what did I miss the mark on there? Come on, Jaffe, correct me. So, well, let's, let's get it straight. Do you think that people have changed and, and, and gotten worse? Do you, th- do you think the younger generation just is worse? Is, is that what's happening? Worse at software engineering? Thousand percent. Yeah. So, so, and it, it's just, it's just because they're the younger generation. That's why. No. What's, what's the reason? I, I, it feels like every time I talk to a, a software developer, and I'm not even going to call him a software engineer, and I say value proposition, not only do they not know what value proposition means, they can't even spell it. So yeah, why do we have software development when people don't understand the value that they're generating with their software? And that's the engineering aspect. Okay, but, but why do you think that is? Why? Because everyone just everyone thinks they can code. Everyone thinks it's all about the bits and the bytes. And I'm just look look at the webpage I just did. Look at the credit card transactions can I just take? Do I care about PII? No. Do I care that I have a, a cross-script injection vulnerability? No. Man-in-the-middle attacks? Not a problem. Dependency injection? Not a problem. But look, look how fast I did it. D- dependency injection is not a vulnerability. That's a, that's a software technique. Anyway. Whatever, man. Whatever. <laughs> so I think if, if no, no doubt there, there is, um, there is a shift toward, I think, you know, move faster and break things over, you know, build carefully. And, and there's no longer like, you know, nine month testing cycles before release, at least not at, you know, good, you know, software uh, engineering organizations. Um, but I think you can't just blame the younger generation for this stuff, right? Like, like people haven't changed. People never change. People have been the same for a thousand years. Um, so I think you have to look at the market and the incentives and the incentive structures to understand why things are happening the way they are. Right. So like, do you know what uh, the, the promotion structure is at like fan companies like Google and, and Facebook and Amazon, these big companies? what their promotion structure is. Yeah. What, what are the incentives? How do you get, how do you get promoted? How do you, how do you yeah, level probably up? By, probably companies? by brown nosing your boss, you know, you, you, you do enough of PowerPoints and you probably get promoted. That's actually not it. The, <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> um, Google actually, you can't, your boss cannot promote you. You, you have to submit a, a packet of stuff to a committee of people who doesn't even know you. And, and they, it's more complicated than this. And, and there's a lot of good resources on this, but they decide um, whether or not you should be promoted. And it goes to some other review. Your boss has some say in it, but it's like very, very slight um, compared, compared to what happens at a lot of places. Uh, so Google tries to do a really good job of like, you know, making this fair and unbiased, 
But the way you get promoted, the what they're looking for is you have delivered product. You have shipped software. All right. You know how many bugs you have to fix to get promoted at Google? Um, uh, There's no number. You can't get promoted by fixing bugs at Google. Why are there bugs? Why why is it why is that even a thing? Why why do we keep creating all of these new bugs? What's the value in that? Are you serious? Why are there bugs? I thought you were a software engineering manager. So um, I don't want to di- di- diverge. Are you going to tell me this. about the old days where you, you wrote software without bugs? Because guess what? Nobody believes that. Nobody believes you wrote software without bugs. There were bugs since you could walk inside computers and they were actual bugs stuck in the computers. <laughs> you know, when That's I That's the started, etymology of the word, by the way. Entomology there was an actual bug stuck in, in, a, uh, in I, a piece of hardware. I did not know that, but I'm sure if I looked up on Snopes right now, it would be confirmed. Yeah, I, I guarantee you it would be. <laughs> what type of bug was it? I don't, know, I don't remember. I think it was a moth, actually. Moth? <laughs> It wasn't a gremlin. It was a bug. It, it was a literal insect. Okay. So, so clearly, you know, writing bugs is okay. Apparently that's just part of the genre right now is, Hey, you know, I can just create bugs when I'm, when I'm delivering product. Okay. Is that Wait, what you're you saying? Said, you said right now, it's always been the case. There have always been bugs in software. Any non-trivial piece of software has bugs since the beginning of software. So there's, there's, okay, that's a little bit of a false dichotomy because yes, when you write code, you do create um, mistakes, but that doesn't mean you promote those mistakes into the product. And then therefore now we have all of these bugs with delivered product. Yes, you know, there can be bugs, but you should fix them before they go to production or at least um, categories of them, right? You can't just keep shipping these problems, especially when, you know, SecOps is coming back and going, look, you've got, you know, critical vulnerabilities that you're not addressing. Oh, we got to ship the product. So you, you can certainly ship a product without any known bugs, but you can't ship a non-trivial product without bugs. Can we agree on that? I, I'm close to conceding yes, because if you've done your due diligence and you didn't understand the specific scenarios, sure. And there will be software that will be delivered with unknown bugs in them. That's correct. And ideally that is close to zero, but sure. There's always that possibility. Yeah. Okay. So great common ground. So there's always bugs, but the distinction that I think you're making is maybe you've been a part of organizations in the past that would not ship software that had known bugs, known vulnerabilities. Is that, is that what we're talking about? For the, for the product and sales folks uh, listening in right now, I'm differentiating between um, defects and known limitations. And that may feel like a nuance, but it is okay if products don't work exactly the way they're intended if that behavior is still satisfactory to the customer, especially for the sake of time, no one's trying to deliver the perfect box. However, a defect versus a known limitation, and again, that's very nuanced, uh, is an important distinction. Okay. So 
what would you like to see be different? Attention to detail, forethought, requirements gathering, meeting with customers. How many times has an engineer just said, oh, I'm going to go do this, and they deliver a really cool piece of software that's of no value or the wrong thing the customer wanted? I, I think we actually talked about this in a, in a previous podcast, the difference between verification and validation. Verification is, in fact, that the software operates uh, the way you intended it to operate. Validation is it's operating the way that the customer needs it to operate. So two distinctly different things. So I think we do a decent job on the verification side, but we lack, the industry lacks competency on the validation side, generating things that customers don't want, didn't ask for, or uh, didn't need. This sounds like a product problem and a management problem, right? I mean, <laughs> you're talking, we're building the wrong things. That was your job, buddy. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say is software engineers only develop uh, what's asked of them and they're never uh, thinking outside the box and they're never um, trying to de- deliver the next best wheel um, in all of their ongoings and they're just little robots listening to product. Uh, you know that grinds my gears because that's exactly how I hate to work. But that is how a lot of large companies are structured, right? You have a whole product team that doesn't actually produce stuff. Their job is to figure out what to produce. And and you have a management team whose job is to make sure that the engineers are actually working on the things we want to produce um, and and that they're you know making progress and and continuously improving and all those all these good things. Um, so I'm I'm very much in favor of you know engineers taking some ownership over this. Often the engineers are the ones who understand, you know, what's possible, what can be done easily, you know, what's going to be way too difficult. And, and so it, there, there has to be a constant cycle of communication between engineering and product. If there is a product team, if there's not, then yeah, tons more responsibility falls on engineers to understand the customer better and, and understand what's actually going to create value or, you know, what's going to be just noise, just extra code that now has to be maintained. That's, that's not useful. Yeah. You're really losing me here. Your your perspective is one that you read in a book, right? The reality is product defines ideas. Umbridge. I take umbrage. (laughs) Right. Product defines ideas, a JIRA story. What is the purpose of a JIRA story? It's an initiation for conversation and you can have internal stakeholders. You can have external stakeholders. So I am a you know, product manager, and I would like my product to do X, right? Not 10, X. So a software engineer needs to be able to meet with their customer, whether it's internal or external, and have a conversation. At West Virginia University, I had software engineering 101. 101. And what that course was, was meeting with the teacher who acted at the time as a customer. You could think of them as a product owner who needed us to create something. We had to learn how to interact with people. Now, if I handed you a bucket of 10 random engineers, Jaffe, how many of them could actually speak to a customer to try to do, do, to do derived requirements to understand what it really is that the customer has built, needs built? On average, I would say 0.7. Great. 0.7. Are you familiar? This may be my concept, but I, I, I know I can't take credit. I know I read it somewhere. Are you familiar with the difference between a task 
based relationship and a committed relationship? No. So in the software world or in the product world, a task-based relationship is where a customer says, I need you to build me a calculator. It needs to be able to add numbers. Please go do that, right? So then the software engineer or the, the, the programmer develops a calculator and it adds two numbers. And then the customer comes back and goes, no, 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 I didn't really mean that. I need you to subtract two numbers. So then the developer goes back and says, okay, I now subtract two numbers. That's a task-based relationship, prescriptive. A committed relationship is where the software engineer says, well, tell me, tell me what you, wh what is it that you're trying to solve? What is the problem you're trying to solve? Oh, you need to be able to do a linear regression on your uh, uh, dependency injection variables, right? And, and the concept there is if your customer is walking toward a cliff, you don't just kind of walk off the cliff with them. In a committed relationship, you hold their hand and you pull them away from a cliff. That's a skill. And it's a skill that is lost, in my opinion, on the current generation of software engineer slash developers. What? No, no response? No, no, you got to go to chapter 10, chapter 10 in your book on software development. I'll talk about it. So, so in your opinion, back, back in your day, engineers just were better at at holding the customer's hand and, and being in a committed relationship than they are today? Absolutely, because of speed. Now, I, you, you didn't pull my speed comment out of context because it is true, right? The, the mar everything is faster now, right? You've got these huge fiber optic cables just so the financial institutions can be a millisecond faster than another one for trading, right? Everything is fast. However, software is becoming too fast in my opinion it's it's diminishing returns we're creating work for ourselves because we're we're not slowing down the old the old adage you need to slow down to speed up we're developing all the wrong things it ends up just getting thrown away and having to redo it and if we just took a breath right and just said um you know uh you know it was a keetering 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 whatever that that genius's name was right a problem well stated is a problem um half solved so like ask a question, like, what is it we're trying to do? Um, what, is this the best solution? You know, if you're, if you're out there choosing a database, right, you're not just going to go pick some random one, you know, you're going to, you're going to do a little investigation and figure out, you know, do I really need, you know, low latency queries on, on, uh, on fresh data? Is that, is that my value proposition or do I need referential integrity for a transactional system? You're going to ask those questions. Now you're smart enough to do that. All right, maybe. But we need to make sure future generations, it's not just about, you know, slot counts, which which you remember. Do you remember when in school when they said the average lines of code an engineer produces a day is supposed to be 10? I'm sure it's now like 100 a day. And we, and we need to be better about that as an industry and as a culture, in my opinion. So you want to slow down to speed up and things are moving too fast for you and your life is passing you by. Okay, yeah, I think we get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I would argue that there are market incentives, um, that the reason that things are moving faster now is because the, the downside or the risk of falling behind your competitors of failing to ship something in a timely manner is usually, usually outweighs the downside of having security problems or having bugs or, or whatever else. And, and that's just the direction that things have gone because 
that's what the market rewards. The, the market rewards getting there first and being able to iterate quickly over producing something that is the right thing the first time, but got to market a few months too late. You know, if, if you look at, and this isn't in across every vertical, right? There, you know, there's, there's certainly some verticals where things move slower than others, but especially if you look at what's going, you know, with, with all these like new AI companies and stuff, a few months makes a huge difference, you know, in, in terms of getting capabilities to market and getting market share and mind share. And for better or for worse, you know, companies are, companies have to, have to weigh the risks and benefits and the, the risk of having security vulnerabilities or bugs is, is just outweighed by getting to market first in terms of like expected long-term value. Yeah. And that's a shame. I, I want to take a step back. Um, I mean, because basically what you just said is, you know, um, you know, we don't need to worry about security because we reward speed. Uh, but, but let's, let me take no, a that, step. That's, no, that's not what I said. I said that a company has, has to maximize its, the value it, it captures, right? Like that's, that's what capitalism does. And if, if the market is rewarding getting to market, you know, getting your product out earlier to a high degree and is not punishing bugs and security problems to a high degree, the company's hands are basically tied, right? You, like <laughs> if you want to survive, you have to do the thing that, that, that makes sense when you, when you weight all the possibilities and the values and the risks. And I think that's just, that's just what today's market demands. Let me take this from a different angle. So you're talking about strategies, but you haven't talked about tactics and not all tactics are the same. Uh, you know, you're not hearing me say, well, we need to slow down and use a waterfall model. And, you know, we need to have, you know, go back to fixed price contracts and everything takes forever. That's, that's not my point. I'll, I'll choose one tactic that we can talk about, which is the lean model. I'm sure you're familiar with it, uh, but it's the concept of build, measure, learn. And I think everybody listening in can agree that the lean model is probably one of the, the fastest models out there. But I, I believe if you look at the software industry today, uh, we're doing the building. Uh, we rarely measure and, and we're probably not learning enough. But the lean model as a tactic allows us um, all of the um, um, instrumentation to do what you're talking about, but we still have to invest in actually those actions. So building, measuring, and learning. And this was from, so the the book, the, the what was it called? The Lean Startup, Eric Rice, I believe. Excellent book, if anyone has not uh, read it on the uh, listening in right now. And, you know, there was a company that had to do a complete pivot uh, because it listened to its customers. It built something, it listened and pivoted. And, and that, that's, that, that cycle is super valuable for everything that you described. But to categorize that all we can do is just build, 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 and not and not measure and learn, I, th I think is, um, I don't want to say false dichotomy again, but I don't think that's a, um, a required trade-off. Yeah, I, listen, I don't disagree that we can get better at building, at building, essentially, you write like building and having quality and, you know, improving our processes. Um, cause, cause there is definitely some truth to like go slow to go fast. You know, there's, there's definitely been cases where, um, taking just a little bit more time 
would save a whole bunch of time, you know, in, in very short order. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I, I think maybe, maybe what you're feeling is just that there's just a lot more demand for talent in today in 2023 than there was 15, 20, 40 years ago. <laughs> The day of the, uh, the, the the time of the moths. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's more demand for talent today, and 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 so what's there is is stretched pretty thin, and so a lot of companies are having to deal with younger engineers, like a, you know younger and less experienced people, and and potentially even less talented people, because there being more demand means that the um, the rewards for being in this industry are higher, right? Supply and demand. There's not enough supply and there's a lot of demand. So the, the cost of talent goes up. And if the cost goes up, that drives more people into the talent pool. And they may not be people who would otherwise have gone into it, right? They may not, they may not be in it for the love of it, right? <laughs> right? Um, and so it could be that what you're feeling is not... Um, is, is not that, you know, things have changed so much. It's just that there's much, there's much greater demand for software engineering talent all overall, which spreads it much thinner. And so you're dealing with a less talented workforce overall, less experienced and or less talented. Less talented. See, that's where I would probably disagree. I think I think it's probably a little bit more on what you said earlier, which is what is capitalism reward. And I think that's where the analysis needs to be done because it can't, I, I have a classic question. I like to talk to when I, when I talk to product owners or product managers and they're asking for a feature and they say, I need it or, or salesperson, obviously I need this. I need this feature in two weeks. And I'm like, I can't do it. It's not possible. Well, can't you just this? And what about this? And then my response to them is, okay, well, I'll give you the feature in two weeks, but it won't have the right level of quality. Now, there's a lot of subjectivity in my statement purposefully. So, Jaffe, I can give you your feature in two weeks, but it won't have the right level of quality. Would you Would you accept that? I mean, I, I don't think you should offer that, right? Because <laughs> if it doesn't have the right level of quality, then it's not the feature, right? It's It's not there. No, I can give you the feature. It just won't have the right level of quality. Co- quality? <laughs> quality. <laughs> Are there quality. like Australian bears? So, so even you, even your reaction there is, you know, deep down, you know that speed is not what's most important, right? There's the triangle. I love the triangle, which is scope, quality, resource. Or scope, quality, time. Scope quality time is one of the triangles. So you already knew that you can't take that feature because it doesn't have the right level of quality. Basically, what I'm saying is I'll give you that capability, but I can't make any promises about the stability of the system. And everybody knows that you shouldn't take it. So that's a counter to your point, which says what's most important is speed. The truth is it's really not. What's most important is quality, i.e. user experience. Well... My point isn't that what's most important is speed. My point is that the market rewards getting there first with with enough quality to capture market share, right? 
So it's still a balance. I just think it's it's a little bit more in favor of speed over quality because and it, again very industry industry dependent very vertical dependent but i do think that for most software that goes out there today you know that's it's consumer facing it's it's the new twitter thing or you know the new social media app the speed ends up being more important than the quality i'm not buying it jaffe because you just said it what if i offered you the feature with almost enough quality would you take the feature dude like you're not selling to me though like uh-huh. i'm not i'm not the average person you're you're tr- you're but you're you're making the the point that speed is 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 that speed is rewarded so i'm offering you speed and i'm just like it's just not quite enough quality and you still won't take it why well, I, I definitely won't but <laughs> i'm a weirdo and i know this right like <laughs> I'm I am not the market for for most consumer software today. I I look at like um you, you know you ever you look at like uh you go to like an auto shop or you go to a grocery store or 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 anything like this and you and you look at the or maybe even like the dentist and you look at the software they're using to to like check you out or to track you or they used to it used to be like these like really ugly text-based interfaces, but the people operating those things could operate them so fast. It was all keyboard based. You know, they could fly through the windows. There was no latency on anything. And nowadays it's like, you've got all these GUI apps, you know, there's like windows popping up on top of each other. Everything is slow. You know, the, you know, the receptionist at your doctor's office is like, oh, sorry, the system today, you know, it's, it's the system. It's always the system. And that bugs me so much. I would take I would take those old text-based expert interfaces that were keyboard-based any day of the week, you know, for, for anything over the newer graphical interfaces that are slow and complicated and buggy. And I just can't stand that stuff. But most people wouldn't do that. Most people, you know, want the windows and and stuff to uh, to give them little handholds and 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 to be easy to use the first time, not the 50th time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time. Have you actually ever used a VT100 system? No. But you know that it's the text-based quick system for interacting, right? Where you use the tab key and you can cycle through and quickly enter things. Those were the yeah. good old days. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't disagree. So what I'm hearing you say is when things were less complicated, they were easier to create. I don't know. I mean, were things less complicated then? I guess, I mean, I guess like a lot of the front end was, but just point of sale. It's just point of sale system. How hard could it be? Yeah. I know. I mean, I, I think, you know, those older systems, I'm sure, I'm sure they had their problems too, but you could, you could fly right through them. Still are, are very many a mainframes still in existence. Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard COBOL is the the language to learn if you want to get a job. They really need COBOL programmers. I'm not sure the moth count though. We'll have to we'll have to check on that. Did you know? So so let's let's talk about back in the the 1920s when I was a software engineer. I was allowed, I, and I worked for I worked for Northrop Grumman. Right, I worked for a defense contractor. Very grateful for for the help starting my career. I was allowed one 
kickback from test per year. One. I mean, kicks, can you explain what that means? Kickback from test? So, it sounds like you're getting payments or something. <laughs> kickback. So if, if, I'm, if I'm producing real software at, at, a, at a probably about 10 lines of code per day, and that gets pushed out to quality, uh, QA, verification, and validation. Uh, and if that gets kicked back more than once a year, that would be a ding on my performance review. How many times? How many times a year did you push it out to quality? Uh, so I mean, we were there. So the dev dev staging dev QA environment was much different than it is now. Uh, but you know, probably dev environment a number of times a day, two, three, four times a day. And then whenever there was a release, it would get pushed out to QA. And if there was any problems and it was found in my area, then that would be that would be my issue. Right, but but how when is when how many releases are there per year? So there really wasn't releases because again, this was a fixed price contract. So there wasn't tagging like you would think of it today. It hadn't been released to the customer yet. Uh, what I'm getting at is, you say you get one per year that can come back. Uh, how many? How many? How many? trials are there how many times was it possible uh, for that to happen i don't know probably dozens dozens i'd say dozens there are dozens of us yes um, now, now how many kickbacks from 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 cicd do you get per day is really what my question is i mean how many times is, is gitlab telling you hey jaffe you need a you need a semicolon at the end of this line come on right yeah it depends on how hard i'm working but uh a couple a couple few yeah. So I think it's safe to say that over the decades since uh, since Mothman, you know, there's been a great reduction in quality overall throughout the software industry, and that's being overcome by speed. Things but like again, that's a false dichotomy, right? Because because I'm not I'm not pushing to a team of people who are like reviewing my stuff. Like that's that's akin to you pushing to your dev environment several times a day. Right. And just having some automated checks that run and tell you if you screwed something up, I can I can run those checks on my local machine. Uh, it's often easier to just let CI do it. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that's. I don't think that's I think that's apples and oranges. When was the last time you stepped through your code with two or more other engineers? Every line that you changed not in a PR, right. not, not, I'm talking in a meeting interactively. Well, sometimes I pair program where we, we not, make not, all not, the changes not. together. Code review, peer review, PR, code walkthrough. Are you familiar with the term? We just did one this morning. I had like 10 people on the call. And you walked how many, how many lines of code? Like three? Oh, it's, it's like over a thousand. You did not do that this morning. You walked through a thousand lines. You walked through a thousand lines of code. How long did it take you? Well, over eight hundred of them were deletions because I removed a whole bunch of crap. So we didn't we didn't walk through every one of those. It was just like, yep, this is all gone because that feature is no longer there. Uh, but but we walked through all the all the new lines. <sighs> How is that possible? Carefully. How is it possible that you're spending all of your time, your limited, highly valuable time, deleting code, deleting features? You just proved my point. Software engineers are spending time deleting capabilities. How is that possible when speed is paramount? Well, the the additional the lines that I added replaced 
the value that those capabilities were delivering just in a much simpler way. Why didn't we deliver the simpler way to start? Well, that would be wonderful, Jason, but sometimes you do something and you learn from it and then you do it better the next time. Sometimes sometimes you build something, you measure how it works, and then you <laughs> learn from it. Sometimes it works that way. Where have all of the good software engineers gone? I don't get it's it. It's just like the process is like taking place before your eyes and yet you refuse to see it. I'm just... I don't know. It's much easier with punch cards, you know? <laughs> no, actually, I, I have to I have to go on record. I actually never used punch cards. I am not that old. No washing yeah. machine computers for me. I, I didn't think you had. So so you're you're happy with the trajectory of, of software development where basically in, in three months, everyone's just going to be doing, hey, chat GPT, build me my interface. That's, you're happy with this direction. No, no, I'm, I'm super depressed, actually. Um, my, my point was, let's understand why it's happening. My point was not, this is great and everything's awesome. Um, because like, I look at, you know, I look at, look at a company like Google. They have some really old established products. Not, I mean, not really old by your measure. But, you know, old. <laughs> they have some really old established products that the people use every day and need to work like Gmail search, you know, the, these kinds of things. And then they have like cutting edge initiatives, you know, doing AI stuff or, or whatever. It's, I think it's really hard as a company to, to provide the right incentives and, and the right culture and direction for both those things. I, I believe, I believe that thing products like Gmail would be best served by focusing almost entirely on bug fixes and performance improvements. I don't need Gmail to do anything new. I need it to be faster and, and I need it to work every time, right? I need it to work perfectly and be super reliable. I believe that they could, they could build a, an impregnable moat by focusing on performance and stability all the time, right? Like making Gmail, because if you, if you switch from Gmail to something else and everything that was taking 40 milliseconds now takes 400 milliseconds, which is perfectly, you know, you could easily imagine that happening, you know, in a less mature mail app, like you're going to feel that and you're going to hate it. Like you're everything, everything's just going to feel a little bit laggy. Like, like you're walking through quicksand. So it, if I had my way, that's, that's what I like in software. I like to feel very, very snappy. You know, I like it. I like it to be incredibly usable and very, very stable. But at, going back to the, the market incentives, the stuff that's like new development, innovative stuff, like you have to have a completely different mindset if you're going to capture market share there and be a leader. And, and I think you can't, you can't get as bogged down focusing on stability and performance and security when you're exploring a new space, you, you have to learn as quickly as possible and figure things out. Um, and I think it's, it's hard for a company to have both those ideas and, and apply both those directions at the same time. Like you really need to split and say, you know, like, here at Gmail, our culture is stability and performance, and you know, we never have bugs, and quality is always perfect. And then you know you've got your like team of kids on the other side who are just like move fast and break things, you know, like whatever. 
and you can't, I don't think it's really hard to have both those cultures at the same time. Uh, and I think you, you have to compartmentalize to do that. Yeah. I can kind of relate to what you're talking about. I mean, when I, I mean, I use Elm and it's a fantastic email reader. Um, and I tried to use pine and pine was just a non-intuitive interface. And I'm like, wow, this is taking way too long. So I just went back to Elm and that's just been, you know, fantastic email reader for me. So I've just, you know, I can kind of see what you're saying about wanting to build a moat around Elm and not use other, you know, email generators like Pine. I get it. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? So I, I, I'm familiar with the names and, and I know you don't use either of them. Oh my, are you kidding? I'll, let me bring up links right now and I'll navigate to the website to show <laughs> Elm. Snappy is lost. Snappy is lost because you can't monetize Snappy. I cannot tell you how many devices in my house that I can I can absolutely tell that they've introduced some sort of monetization technique on. I'm not talking like mine and Bitcoin. I'm talking about this stuff is slowing down. The hardware hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is the firmware, and I'm sure oh, they're no, trying the, to the monetize. The hardware's gotten faster. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's a device. There's lots of different. Whether it's an Amazon Fire Stick or a Ring camera, when you first unpack those things, they are snappy to use your term. And then all of a sudden, everything gets slower. Like I'm a like a Alexa, set me a, a five minute timer. And then like three minutes later, you know, Alexa's like, "Oh, your five minute timer's been set." I'm like, "That's not very helpful, right?" So, yeah, I, I can I. I get the trade-off because there's there's no monet there's no value monetary value in making Gmail snappy other than retention and stickiness of the product, which which actually I believe is what's most important. I don't believe monetization, but when you look at stock price for publicly traded companies, that's what the most important thing is. Yeah, I actually I bought several years ago. I bought an Android TV, uh, a, you know, a smart TV that used the Android TV operating system because it was. Um, it was rated as being fast and it was the only one that didn't have a bunch of built-in ads. Lo and behold, a couple years later, they added ads in, everything started to suck. <laughs> and I bought an Apple TV and plugged it into it. And I don't use the smart TV, the Android TV part of it anymore. Yeah, we can circle back to, to not much has changed, right? Isn't Wasn't that the original draw of cable television? So you pay now for cable so you don't get ads. Hmm. Was it really? Yeah, so that was the original concept of, of cable. So over air, Man. you know, you get ads and you get commercials and cable was supposed to be, well, you don't get ads anymore. And then now you got ads everywhere. And same with, I, I don't know, I get, just get off my lawn. But yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's the title of the episode and we should probably wrap it up uh, before we go too deep down this. I, I got to tell you, Jeffy, I know you've kind of taken the lead on this. You haven't convinced me because I, I think I made my case where I where I talked about you know, you can have speed, but at the at the not quite level of quality. And you knew, you knew what that meant. So speed is not what's most important. Quality is most important. We got to stop lying to ourselves and start investing in really what's important, which is less moths, more quality, more requirements gathering, and just a little bit slower. Jason, I, I haven't convinced you because I'm on your side. <laughs> That's what I want too. I, the only thing I want to convince you of is there's a reason things are happening the way they are. And if we want to fix it, we have to understand that reason and, and understand the dynamics at play. I, you know, I don't think we can just go out and say, these kids, you know, they're, they don't like quality. Like that's, that's not the problem. Yeah, no.
All right, so to wrap us up here, uh, does does a uh, does a uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin University you went to uh, does that have any uh, any cheers? Did you know any cheers? Uh, yeah. So the the swim team we had a, a really wacky cheer that we did at the beginning of every meet. Wacky. Um, it, it, I mean, it was just like a bunch of like random sounds. Was, I don't know. <laughs> It was it was strange actually, um, but it, it was fun. And then the the uh, you're gonna love this. The mascot of Franklin and Marshall uh, are the diplomats. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's go the dips. Diplomats. Go dips. Yeah. I I cannot top that with let's go Mountaineers. Uh, go dips. Go dips. Go take a dip. I'm 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 loving it. So uh, yeah. so Jeffy, why don't you close us out? Yeah, um, if you like the show, you can ask us questions and stuff. I don't remember any of the stuff right now. At Smart Snarkcast on Twitter, smartandsnark at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, we're available on all the all the podcast apps. If we're not available on one you like, let us know, and we'll, uh, we'll try to figure out how to make it happen. And uh, I think that's it. Thanks, everybody. Peace.